Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. Hey, how thankful are you that Jesus is enough this morning? Man, I love, I love that song. And just in case you may not know who Jaira is, we're going to get to that in just a moment, okay? We'll get to that. It's so good to be back on this Sunday morning. Uh, welcome to Connect Church, whether you're joining us here physically or you're joining us online digitally. We are so grateful that you are here. And I'm going to tell you, it's just good to be back in the pulpit. Last week, David did such an incredible job preaching the Word. But I tell you what, I've been excited about getting back in the pulpit today, this week. We had a wonderful week as a family. We went camping. And uh, we went just far enough out of town to where there was zero cell phone service. Guys, I'm going to tell you, it's good stuff. That is some, just to be out where nobody get a hold of you. Man, it was just really a good time. We culminated that time on Friday night at Pastor Zach's house. Now, on Fridays, we're just brother-in-laws, right? So he's my brother-in-law. And his little girl, my niece, Izzy, was having her first birthday party. Now, Zach and Ivanka, had just built a brand new home in our neighborhood. And this was their first ever get together. And so Zach had asked us as we got everything started up, his father-in-law was there, I was there. And so he had asked that, that we would pray a blessing over their brand new home. And so Zach began to pray, and, and then his father-in-law prayed, and his father-in-law is Ukrainian, and so he prayed uh, in, their, in their language. It was really, I have no idea what he said, but I'm sure it was great. It sounded really good. And then it was my turn to pray. And listen, I prayed a blessing and protection over their children and their marriage. And as soon as I said amen, within a matter of a minute, all of a sudden I hear thud on the floor. My youngest daughter, Sadie Buck, had been running through the house. Now, let me just mind you that the lighting wasn't great. The floor was a little slippery. There were no signs about not running. At least that's what we've told the lawyer. Anyway, she slipped and she fell and she busted her chin. And so I just got done praying that God would bless this home. And I look up and we've got a crime scene. There's blood everywhere, right? And so we rush her over to uh, Children's and we knew right away she needed some stitches. And so we, we went through the whole process. So we got her down on the table, and it was time to give her five-year-old little girl, almost five, shots to numb that chin. And I'm telling you what, it was an open hole. You could see exactly how God designed her jaw. And, uh, and I knew this was going to be terrible. And they knew it was going to be terrible. Sadie didn't quite know yet it was going to be terrible. So a nurse came behind her and held her head. I held her arms. Aaron laid across her legs. And then they began to give her shots. And, and I'm going to tell you something. My little girls took to screaming. And, and I remember, listen, it was so troubling as a parent. You know she's going to be okay. Most of us have some type of scar from stitches in our chin at some point in life. How many of y'all got had stitches in your chin at some point? Me, me too. Man, all of us had it. We knew she's going to be okay, but it was awful. It, we were all holding her down. She was screaming. And, and I'll never forget, she began to yell out, Mama. Mommy, mom. and she began to yell out my wife's name. Now listen, 
I'm so glad she yelled for her mama. If she would have said, Daddy, I'd have started slinging people, right? In that office, in that room. And uh, but she yelled out for mama because you know what? At just mama's name, there's comfort for her. You see, just at the name of her mama, there is refuge and there is, there is peace. So what's in a name? You see, this morning, we begin a series of messages in the Old Testament, exploring the many names of God. And you might be asking, well, what really is in a name? You see, exploring the names of God will allow us to do a couple of things. Number one, to gaze deeply into the very heart and the character of our God. And as we do so, it allows us to grow deeper in our relationship with Him through Christ. You see, names were oftentimes given to God as a response to something God had accomplished, something God had done, or simply names were ascribed to God to describe who He is. This will be a series of messages that we, uh, we visit and revisit from time to time throughout the next couple of years. Like you visit an old friend, picking up where you left off, and exploring the wonders that are the very names of God. So today we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Genesis chapter 22, or open the app and swipe there. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to begin in verse 14. And here's what the Bible says. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. In the Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament, I love it. It simply is this, Yahweh Jireh. If you were raised in the church and maybe have a King James background, uh, it would sound more familiar for me to say Jehovah Jireh. But here in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, the Bible says, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I love this. For the first time, Abraham refers to God by this name, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. And it's a time of celebration for Abraham because what he is celebrating is the wonderful provision of God. But the question becomes is, how did God provide? What did God do in this moment that meant so much to Abraham? So let's Take a closer look at our God, our provider, and let's learn more about God's provision together. Now, we begin by setting the stage. In this text, you have three main characters. You have God, you have Abraham, and you have Isaac. The three main characters, the key players in the text. Abraham, we know this is God's chosen man to be the father of God's people, his nation. And ultimately, through the generations, through Abraham's lineage, through his family tree, God would send his son, Jesus, the son, the Messiah, the very savior of the world. Hey, perhaps you've heard Abraham's song. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had five. Have anybody ever heard that song growing up in church? Man, we used to sing that all the time with kids in Bible study. He has his own song. 
But here's where we find the very promise of God to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, and make note of this in verse 1. Listen to what God says to Abraham. The Lord said to him, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Later in Genesis chapter 17, God promised Abraham that at the age of 99, that he and his wife Sarah, who was also later in her years. Now the Bible tells us how old she is. But I'm not going there. We just don't discuss ladies' ages here at church, right? Mama didn't raise a fool. But we have two, two people, a couple, in the later years of their life. But here's the problem. The womb of Sarah is barren. And yet we have this promise of God. And what we begin to see unfold in Genesis is that God would come through on his promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And they gifted them with a son by the name of Isaac. And listen, Abraham loved his boy. Now I started out all my kids with three girls. And then on the fourth try, we, we got us a boy. I, I didn't think there was ever a possibility that a little boy would ever melt my heart like a little girl does. And boy, was I wrong. I love, I love my boy. Abraham loves Isaac. Look in Genesis chapter 22 as we start in verse 1. Now, we're going to do a lot of reading from the, the Bible today. And so take your Bibles, Genesis 22, verse 1. The Bible says that after these things, well, what things? Well, after the promise of God to Abraham and Abraham's pursuit of God, the Bible says that God tested, God tested Abraham. Hey, by the way, in this conversation of provision, I want to remind you of something, that oftentimes with great blessing comes times of testing. Hey, can I ask you something, church? Has your faith ever been tested before? Has there ever been an occasion in your life where your faith, your trust in the Lord demanded more than just words? Hey, consider James and what he writes, the very brother of Jesus. He writes this in James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And what's amazing in the story of Abraham, in the witness of James, that we see with God's testing comes his blessing. But joy, joy to be found in the testing of our faith? Well, as we're going to read in Abraham's story, it seems like this testing is more jolting than it is joyful. Look at this. The Bible says in verse 1, So God tested Abraham and said to him, hey, Abraham. Abraham said, here am I. And the Lord said to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Yes, with great blessing comes times of testing. Man, this is tough. Hey, what a test. 
A test that is heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, and, and faith-shaking, to say the least. I can imagine Abraham standing there, hearing these words from God, and his very heart sinks. No, wait a second, God. You can have all my livestock. Take all of my, take all of my wealth. Take my, my health. Take my very life, but, but not my boy. Not my, my son. Hey, I'll be honest with you. This test in Genesis 22 is troubling to me as a father and as a believer. But, but not only is this personally troubling, but there's a theological issue here. There's Theologically, this is troubling as well. You know this in the Bible, that God himself, his very word, condemned and had forbidden the practice of child sacrificing in many areas, all the way through the prophets, but especially in places like Deuteronomy chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Listen, God prohibited child sacrifices. So the question becomes, was God acting a little bit out of character. Was this testing of Abraham out of character for God? You ready? It would be if this was anything but a test. And can I remind you that God never acts outside of his character. That God never acts in contradiction to his word. You see, God wasn't laying down the theological precedent in Genesis 22 for child sacrifice. Rather, God was testing the faith of Abraham, who would shoulder the load of being the patriarch of God's people. A unique position in the history of mankind. You ready? God cannot break his word. God cannot break his promises. Yet, for this to be a real test for Abraham... God had to ask of Abraham to sacrifice that which he loved most in this life. For Abraham, it was his boy. Look at verse 2. God said, take your son. Now watch this. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Catch this, church, you ready? God had given Isaac to Abraham, and now God is asking Abraham to give Isaac back to him. But would he? Like in the case of Job, we find that Abraham was faced with a choice. Do I love the gift more, or do I love the giver more? And what an incredible question for us today. Do you love the gift more than you do the giver? Hey, do you and I love the provision more than we do the provider? Do we love Jesus' stuff more than we do Jesus? And this is the very question that faces Abraham. In verse 3, look what the Bible says. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. 
We see here that Abraham has made his choice. His mind was made up. He would trust in the promises of God. He would trust in God's provision so much so he gets an early start. In verse 4, the Bible says that on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. We know this, that the journey to Mount Moriah from where Abraham was, was 50 miles. A three-day journey that they would take. And I can't imagine what was going on in the heart and the mind of Abraham. As he journeyed with his son, knowing what waited him, and Isaac at Mount Moriah. Hey, you ready? Not only is it true that with great blessing comes a time of testing, but it's also true that when God gives us a promise in his word, he will send you and I at times to the proving grounds to put his promises to the test. And that's exactly what God is doing with Abraham. Hey, let me ask you, have you ever walked the proving grounds with God? Ever been in a situation where you had no other recourse Nothing else left available to you but to trust in his promises, in the provision of God. Hey, if you haven't, you will. And if you've been on the proving grounds before, you are a living testimony today that the God we serve is a promise keeper. He always keeps his promises. Abraham had to find this out for himself, and he does so on the proving grounds of Mount Moriah. Look at verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. And watch this. Listen to this language. And come again to you. And we'll come again to you. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took his hand in the fire and with the knife. So they both of them, they went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, son. He said, behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Listen to Abraham's word. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together. Hey, watch this, you ready? Even on the proving ground of Moriah, with nothing more than the promises of God, Abraham is convinced that God will provide. In fact, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, gives us insight into Abraham's mindset when the Bible says Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a matter of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This proves true in verse 9 here, Genesis 22, when Abraham told the servants that he and Isaac would be back and return to them. Guys, listen, he had nothing else but the promises of God. And he did nothing else but trust the very promises of God. Look at verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Guys, what a terrifying thing for Isaac. Can we just stop for a moment? Dad, what you doing? Hey, son, I'm going to have to tie you up. Dad, what you doing? Boy, I'm going to have to lay you on that altar. Dad, where's the lamb? 
I don't know what it, at what point Isaac realized that he was the sacrifice. But nowhere in this account does it say that that young boy climbed off the altar. Nowhere does it say that he fought his father. Oh, the faith of a young boy by the name of Isaac. In verse 10, the Bible says, Then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. And here we are brought to a moment of truth, this moment of trust, and find Abraham responding to the promises of God, the peril of this test with two things, faith and obedience. Faith in God's promise, God's provision, and obedience to his word. You see, Abraham went where God told him to go. He built the altar. He bound his son. He began to raise the knife to give back to God what God had given to him. Abraham had decided in his heart to worship the giver by giving back the gift. But in that moment, greater than Abraham's fear, was his faith. Far more potent than Abraham's feelings was the very promise of God that God had given him. This proving ground served as a platform for God to make good on his promises to Abraham through his provision. And look at verse 11. With Abraham's hands raised, that knife clutched in his hands, ready to slay his son. Now we see God's heart in this all along. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Hey, Abraham! Abraham! And Abraham said, Here am I. And the angel said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham, the Bible says, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, before him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Maybe that song makes a little more sense. Yahweh Jireh. He is enough. Hey, imagine for Abraham on this proving ground of, uh, of Moriah. Imagine the joy this testing period produced in Abraham as he was able to see God's provision there before him. Think of how sweet the proving ground became when Abraham put the promises of God to the test and God's provision saved his boy. Well, let me ask you something, church. Aren't you grateful for the provision of God? I get to drive my girls to school. And every time we drive to school, I say this prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for the clothes on our back, shoes on our feet, food in our bellies, a roof over our head. But thank you most of all for Jesus, for the cross and for the empty grave. 
I want you to hear me, church, in this conversation of a provision of Yahweh Jireh, God our provider. I want you to hear this. If all God ever provided for us is Jesus, Jesus is more than enough. He's more than enough for me and for you. You see, this event here in Genesis chapter 22 foreshadowed This event with Abraham and Isaac foreshadowed God's greatest provision for all humanity. You see, I remember a time where God did not withhold His only Son. Rather, He sent His Son to this very same region of Moriah, later called Jerusalem. God would lay upon His Son a wooden cross. God would lead Him to the place where He was to be sacrificed. God would raise His hands armed with not a knife but with His wrath against our sin. But this time, unlike with Isaac, there was no other sacrifice to be found. There was no other provision to be made. God provided His Son Jesus as the sacrifice. The only sacrifice available for you and for me, providing salvation from our sin, life from death, and hope from despair. And that day, 2,000 years ago, on the proving grounds of Moriah, as Scripture said, that on that mount... Of the Lord it was provided. What a provision we find in Jesus. What a provider we find in our God. And listen, I'm a daddy. At the end of the day, I work hard. I love hard. Because even as a a dad with faults, an imperfect dad. I want to take care of my kids. I want to provide for them. How much more will our heavenly Father, our Creator, our Designer, how much more does He desire to provide for His kids? to take care of us. In the great 23rd Psalm, it opens up with this, and I love this in the ESV version where I'm preaching out of today. The 23rd Psalm, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. You ready? And because He is, I lack nothing. I love how Eugene Peterson sums this up in the Message Bible. He says, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. I don't need a thing. Because... His provision is all I need. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus begins to engage the crowd of people with the conversation of survival. People who worried about where their next meal would come from, where they would clothe their family, the basic necessities of life. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, taught them something about the provision of God. He says this, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And he'll add all these things 
to you. He will, he will take care of the rest. The word Jireh in Hebrew not only means that there's provision, but it also means that he will see to it. It also carries with it the idea that if God is in it, that God will see to it. I want you to hear me, church. He loves you. And he'll see to it that you are provided for. I love this in Philippians 4.19. Paul comforts the church in this in verse 19. He says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In Romans 8.32, Paul reminded the Roman church that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him give you all things? But this is the key when we talk about God's provision. Oh, and Abraham lived this out. When it comes to God's provision in our lives, he doesn't always give us what we want. But he does always provide us what we need. He doesn't always give us what we want. But he does always provide what we need and when we need it. Hey, through the various testings of our faith, while walking the proving grounds with God, like Abraham, may God find us faith-filled and obedient so that when we're old, we might say with the psalmist in Psalm 37, 25, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Why? Because God takes care of his kids. You see, the name Yahweh Chira doesn't mean that the Lord can provide. It doesn't even mean that He might provide. It doesn't mean that He did provide. Yahweh Chira means the Lord will provide. Church, He will provide for you, His child. A child that is His child by faith. And trust in Jesus. Years ago, I ran across a story that I read of a precious five-year-old little girl full of life, full of personality. Well, one day she went shopping with her mama. And they were at the old Dollar Tree. And there she had saw in the checkout lane a beautiful set of pearls. Pearl necklace and Pearl, you, ha you had to know they were authentic to her. Most beautiful piece of jewelry she had ever seen there at the dollar store and the checkout line. And so she took them in her hands. And she began to beg, hey, hey, mama, I want those pearls. Mama, I need those pearls. I <laughs> said, so listen, sweetheart, and we're not going to get those right now. Mama, I I'll do chores. Mama, I'll give my birthday money to afford this dollar for this beautiful set of pearls. And so her and her mama worked it out. Her mama bought that set of pearls. And immediately that little five-year-old girl put them pearls on. She would sleep with those pearls every night. No matter what she wore, she, she wore those pearls with it because she just thought those pearls made her look beautiful. Well, she had a daddy that loved her. Every night, the daddy would go into her bed, and he'd begin to tuck her in. He'd tell her story every night. Well, one night, he came into her room, and as she was sitting there in the bed, 
she had this cheap imitation set of pearls around her neck. He looked at his little girl and said, Hey, Jenny, do you love me? And she said, Oh, yes, Daddy, of course I love you. He said, Then give me your pearls. And she was shocked. She said, Oh, Daddy, Daddy, not, not my pearls. But here's what I'll do. I'll give you Princess, my favorite white horse from my collection. Uh, the one you gave me, she'll be perfect. Daddy, you can, have, you can have my horse, Princess. Just not my pearls. And Daddy said, it's okay, it's okay. Never mind. And he kissed her on the cheek and put her to, dead, to bed. Well, a few nights later, he went back in, and, and there she was wearing those cheap imitation pearls and and he said, hey, hey, Jenny, you love your dad. She said, Dad, of course I love you. Give me your pearls. Daddy, da- Daddy, no, not my, my, not my pearls, but, but you can have the baby doll that you guys gave me for my, my birthday. She's so beautiful. You will, you will love her. Daddy, take my, my baby doll. No, it, it's okay. Go to sleep. He gave her a kiss on the cheek. She put her to bed. Well, a few nights later, he walks up to her room. She's sitting on the edge of her bed. And as he gets closer, he notices her face. Her chin and her lip are quivering. Tears running down her face. And he said, Jenny, what, what's wrong? And she grabbed a set of pearls that she loved so much. And she handed them to her dad and said, Daddy, these are for you. He took the pearls in one hand and reached into his pocket with the other. And he pulled out for Jenny a pearl necklace, not made of cheap imitation plastic, but of genuine pearls. You see, every night he went to her room and he asked for those cheap imitation pearls for her to give. He had the genuine pearls in his pocket. He was just waiting for his daughter to trust him enough to give to him her greatest possession so that he could give her an even greater treasure. Church, that's where we find ourselves today. In this conversation of God's provision, knowing that the Lord will provide for His children and provide for us something greater than anything this world has to offer, just like he did in Genesis 22, is the very same question he asked of us today. Hey, hey, believer, give me your pearls. But the question today is, will we trust in the promises of God and the very provisions of God? Because here's the deal, and these are my wife's pearls that I bought for her. You see, when he comes to us and he says, hey, give me your pearls. Give me what you love most. We begin to see 
that in that season of testing, that time of testing, on the proving grounds of life, that we begin to see that our treasure is not in the gift, but our treasure is the giver. Hey, you ready? We begin to understand that the greatest treasure is not the provision, but it is the provider. And when we give up our pearls, he gives us himself. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord our provider. Let's pray together, can we? As we pray all across the room. Hey, believer. What are the pearls you're holding on to? What are the things in this life that maybe you love the gift more than you do the giver? Maybe you love the provision even more than you do the provider. The challenge for you today, believer, is to give your heavenly Father your pearls and let Him exchange Exchange that for himself. We know that the Lord will provide. But hear me, the greatest provision is Jesus. Not necessarily the gift, and oh, how grateful we are for the gift. But I, but I tell you, the real treasure's in the giver. It's not just in the provision, and oh, how thankful we are for the provision. But today, we get to serve and worship the provider. But the deal is, is a lot of us are holding on to some cheap imitation pearls. Things we've tried to provide for ourselves. Times where we, we hold more value in the gift and the provision than we do in the giver and the provider. And you know what? Today... Lay down the pearls. Don't settle for the imitation. And what is fake? Exchange them for a far greater treasure. That is Jesus. That is Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.